This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat show. And some fun stuff to talk about tonight. Some interesting stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, Betting lines are out. All sorts of NIL comments and thoughts. Coaches wanting expanded playoffs. And I'll start with this because this seems to have gotten a lot of attention. And I know that sometimes coaches make offhanded comments. I do understand that. But I felt like John Harbaugh's comment just could not be ignored. When he says that some programs are better at preparing kids for the NFL and others or run programs that are more NFL-like than others, and he says that Alabama and Michigan come to mind, I'm sorry, but there needed to be some accountability there. And I wrote about that. And I took John Harbaugh to task. And I looked deeply into it. And I noted that his team was in the middle of a six-game losing streak when Georgia played Michigan, I'm thinking he probably didn't watch that game. Anybody who watched that game saw complete dominance. And it's insulting to Georgia. It's naive to suggest that Michigan is running more of an NFL-like program than Kirby Smart. Because Kirby does a lot of the same things that Nick Saban does. Not all of them, but very comparable. And the fact that Georgia just had 15 players drafted, an NFL record, five of them in the first round off the defense alone, suggests that Georgia is doing some things right that helps players transition successfully into the NFL. Now, I look at Michigan, and as someone who covered Michigan State and was in the Big Ten when Jim Harbaugh was hired and have had a chance to investigate, discuss, Talk to people about Jim Harbaugh. Listen, I I, I am a Jim Harbaugh fan. I, I like how I think he's fascinating. I think he's interesting. But let me tell you, Jim Harbaugh took his team to Rome to train. I don't think NFL teams do that. He took his team down to IMG Academy for some spring drills. I don't see NFL teams doing that. So if his brother John wants to pay Jim Harbaugh a compliment, he can do that without insulting the intelligence of college football fans. Now, sometimes NFL coaches and college coaches too, when they win championships, they can say things that really aren't funny and people will laugh. They can tell stupid jokes. I I think sometimes Kirby Smart says stuff that he doesn't even intend to be funny and people laugh because they think he's trying to be funny. It's kind of uncomfortable. The fake laugh because he's the coach, right? The boss tells the joke and everybody laughs and it's really not that funny. Fortunately, at Dog Nation, we actually have a funny boss, so we don't really have to fake it too often. In fact, uh, not too often at all. (laughs) Point is, John Harbaugh said something really stupid. And I held him accountable on account. And I don't feel bad about that. The guy won a Super Bowl 10 years ago. I don't have any doubt that he's a great coach, but he's won one playoff game in the last six years. And his team finished under 500 last year. So now is not a time for him to be using his coaching equity to say stupid things that indirectly insult Georgia, at least not on my watch. And so I wrote a column about it. Now, Feinbaum had me on a show today and said, why do you have your panties in a wad? It's not a panties in a wad deal. It's setting the record straight. Because when stuff that's inaccurate gets said over and over and over, people start to believe it. Perception overtakes reality. And so to me, there's a danger. And it's my role, part of my role, part of my responsibility to keep the narrative straight, to keep the facts straight. Now, you guys know I've done that with other topics that – we won't wait into tonight because we're going to keep this on the, the happy spectrum. We're in the off season, so there's no real reason to have any sort of critical analysis uh, at this stage of the off season, at least. But I do that on the behalf of Georgia, as well as providing critical analysis of Georgia, right? Because that's my job. 
and John Harbaugh said something stupid. And so we're going to out him and I'm going to write a story about it. And there were some Michigan fans and there were some Baltimore Ravens fans that provided pushback on Twitter. But guess what? The Georgia Bulldog social media army was ready to shut those people down and shut those people up. And so that's what happened with that. I thought it would be an opportunity to do kind of a funny column and make fun of John Harbaugh for being so naive or thinking that people in Georgia would just sit back and, and let his words run all over and insult their program. Although I'm sure, you know, if he were to respond, he'd say, Oh, well, you know, that was never the intent, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? I don't believe it. I think a lot of these coaches are phony and I think they're bullies. And I think they say whatever they want without fear or repercussion. And when they get pushed back, they don't handle it well. Um, so, and we've seen that with Kirby Smart at times. Okay. We've seen it with Nick Saban. We've seen it with Steve Spurrier. We've seen it with power brokers in general. They live in a world where there's all these yes men around them. And when an outside entity challenges them, they don't know what to do. They Sometimes they just flout and, oh, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. Uh, so that was one thing I wanted to talk about. I wanted to put that out there, open that discussion and say, you know what? It's time you take up for Georgia. You're the national champions, and you just set a record for the most number of players drafted. You better enjoy the moment, because let me tell you, the reload is going to be tough. Let's shift right into a story that I did tonight uh, about the betting lines. This is from FanDuel.com. There's only a few websites, I think, in the U.S. where you can legally bet um, that have put some early lines out. FanDuel is one of them. And we saw... Was it earlier this week or was it last week where Georgia was a 16 and a half point favorite over Oregon? And I thought, well, that's that seemed like a lot to me. But listening to Kirby talk on the Feinbaum show last week on the SEC network, he said he's want, he wants to score some points. And we'll talk about that in a minute, too, that that I do think Kirby is going to shift his offensive philosophy next year to account for a defense that won't be as good. But if you didn't see the odds, the story's up on dognation.com. And here's the way the betting line looks. Georgia is a 16.5-point favorite over Oregon. We already know that. Georgia is a 17-point favorite over Florida in Jacksonville. Georgia is a 17.5-point favorite over Tennessee in Athens. Georgia a 16-point favorite over Kentucky in Lexington. And Georgia is a 28-point favorite over Georgia Tech in Athens. My, my knee-jerk reaction is the Oregon line seems too high. The Florida line seems about right. The Tennessee line seems too high. The, the Kentucky line seems about right. And the Georgia Tech line seems too low. That's my knee-jerk reaction. Now, I don't know a lot about any of those programs. I haven't studied those games closely. And certainly by the time the, game, the games get here, a lot of things can change, right? Injuries can happen. Some teams get hot. Some teams go cold. We don't really know what's going to happen with Georgia. Uh, but that's just kind of my knee-jerk reaction right now. As things stand, I think Kirby Smart is aware that he's going to need to play more offense in the second half. And if we're being honest about it, there was a lot of times when the dogs shut it down in the third quarter offensively, certainly in the fourth quarter. For example, in the first quarter of games last year, Georgia outscored opponents 163 to 25. That that's just ridiculous. They got in 15 games, they gave up 25 first quarter points. Think about that. Not very much, right? That's not even four touchdowns. In the second quarter, Georgia scored 195 and gave up 40. Okay. So that's Pretty, that's pretty incredible dominance. Let me do the math here. So that's what, 363 minus 5. So that's how scoring teams 358 to 65 in the first half. I mean, that is just ridiculous, right? Third quarter margin, dog scoring goes down to 116. Opponents only score 21 because Kirby and Lanning and Schumann and Muschamp are brilliant at halftime adjustments. You're not going to do much. And then in the fourth quarter, it was 105 to 67. It's not that Georgia was tired. It's that they would put the scrubs in and they would run the ball. Like when I did that story on the Georgia domination of Michigan the other day, 
They ran the ball 16 times in the fourth quarter and threw it once. And the game ended with the ball in the 11-yard line. Same thing against Clemson. People people from all oh, Georgia didn't score. If Georgia wanted to score in the final drive, they could have. They held the ball for four and a half minutes, and they were inside the Clemson 15 when time ran out. Didn't even try to throw it in the end zone. So a lot of times Kirby is trading time uh, for yardage, right? Not trying to score so much as pound it out, keep the clock running. And Todd Munkin even said that. You go back last December, and I was looking at some of the quotes. I remembered Munkin saying it, so I go back and I, I look for the transcript and say, okay, what was it exactly he said? He said, for a number of those games, we put ourselves in position to where we didn't need the quarterback to make plays in the second half of games. True. He said, it was just a matter of opportunities, I think, more than anything because of the way games went. Well, games will probably go different this year. Now, I don't know what you think about the defense next year. I think it's going to be pretty good based on the spring game. But I don't think it's going to be as good as last year. And I don't think that's a jump to say that. In fact, if you saw Brandon Adams' Dog Nation Daily last Friday, he had David Pollock on. And David Pollock said this defense will be 10 points worse per game than this year's. Okay, in the regular season, Georgia set a modern era record, giving up 6.9 points per game. Pollock's saying 16.9 next year then. I think they gave up 10.3 or something like that. Once you factored into the playoff, obviously Alabama lit them up for 41 points. Uh, that would be 20 points a game. So if the defense is 10 points worse, well, then maybe Kirby will keep the throttle down in the second half. Maybe he will turn Stetson Bennett loose to throw the ball downfield more. Uh, I happen to think the run game is going to be better with Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. And, and that's no insult to, to Zamir and Cook. I just think Kenny and Kendall are that good. And you know that. I've said it before. We had K&M squared. You had a chance to meet those guys on Dog Nation. They, they did five programs with us. Um, they're both big, bigger, physical guys. I don't know if they have the straight arrow speed that Zamir did um, or that Cook had. But I like their running skills, particularly um, the vision that both of them show. Kendall has kind of slendered up a little bit. I think he's looking to be better in the pass game. Kenny, I think his lower body's gotten bigger. I think he wants to be more powerful. I think these guys are more interchangeable than Zamir and Cook were last year, whereas I felt like Zamir was more the downhill runner and, and Cook was in the pass game. Now, Cook did show you he could run between the tackles. And Zamir did show you he could catch the ball. But for the most part, I felt like that was their strengths. Whereas I feel like Kenny and Kendall could be more interchangeable. And Dejon Edwards is just a guy that I think we're still learning about. But he looks real good running the football. Haven't seen him do much catching the ball yet. Not sure what his role is going to be in terms of a, as a receiver. But I really like what I see from him as a running back. And uh, I'm excited about this backfield. So I look at the offensive line. And I, I feel like the offensive line is going to be better. I do. I, I know you lose Jamari Salyer and Justin Schaefer, but, you know, Cedric Van Pran is one year older. Broderick Jones is a third-year player now. Um, you know, Warren Erickson, this will be his third year as a starter. I think he's going to start at guard. If Tate Ratledge gets back, that was your best run blocker going into last season before the foot. I've heard it's 50-50 whether he's going to be ready for the season opener. I know he'll go through some drills, but – those foot injuries in the big game on those big guys can be very difficult. Uh, you know, Warren McClendon now, former freshman All-American. What is this, third? Third year as a starter. And we haven't even brought up Xavier Trust moving inside the guard at 335 or Amarius Mims, who's just a monster, or Micah Morris, another powerful blocker. So much talent. And I think with Stacey Serrells uh, is the offensive line coach, this unit will be more physical. This unit will be absolutely more dominant. If you looked at what Sarles did at North Carolina, I believe they led the ACC in rushing. Um, his, his guys are nasty, okay? I, I'm not saying Matt Luke did a bad job. I don't think he did do a bad job. I think Coach Luke brought a lot of athleticism, and I think the pass blocking was very good. But I think you're going to see a different level of nasty out of this Georgia offensive line. I think these guys are going to be gritty and, um, and, and nasty. 
I just think they're going to be really nasty and a team that people don't want to play. This is going to be an offensive line that plays with a bad chip on the shoulder, bad attitude in a good way, right? I think they're going to go out there with bad intentions, as they say. So I like the physicality of this group. We haven't even talked about the fact that you're going to see all these double tight end sets. And Darnell Washington, uh, you know, we did an interview with Darnell at the end of spring, and, and I asked Darnell uh, about his role as a blocker. And he said, you know, the first time I went out there and blocked, it didn't look real good. And so he made a decision that he was going to man up and be a blocker. And let me tell you, when when the big zero, when the big O comes after you blocking, uh, you're in trouble, man. This guy's going to make some money in the NFL because he can absolutely steamroll people as a blocker, but he can also catch the ball. You've seen those big paws go up and pull that ball out of the air. Uh, snatch it out of the air. And once he gets running, good luck tackling him. Now, I don't think Darnell's going to be a 50-catch guy and maybe not even a 30-catch guy. But I think he recognizes that his ability as a dual-threat tight end uh, is going to make him a lot of money. If McKitty, Trey McKitty was drafted in the third round, I don't see why Darnell couldn't be a second-round pick next year, even if he only has 20 or 25 catches. What did McKitty have, five or six? And he went in the third round, so... I like where Darnell's at mentally and physically. On the other side, I mean, you know, Brock Bowers and Rick Gilbert, are, are there two better pass-catching tight ends in the country? Is it possible but, but that both of these players uh, could be finalists for the Mackey Award? Now, yes, Brock Bowers was wrongly left out last year, but I will say the player from Colorado State that won it was a big-time player. I had a chance to talk with him in Mobile and watch him at the Combine. And I believe his name is Trey McBride. He was a big-time player. Um, he would have put up big-time numbers in Georgia's scheme, too. So it wasn't like Brock should have won it, but he should have been one of the three finalists for sure. I, I'd bet dollars to donut that Brock Bowers provided he stays healthy. Remember, he had some off-season surgery and some injuries to come back from. Uh, he's got to stay healthy next year. And Eric Gilbert, you could have two of the three Mackey finalists. I know Cole Kubelik joked with Kirby last week on WJOX. Uh, you know, is there a formation with five tight ends? And Kirby quickly said, hey, we got to have some receivers out there. And, and so Kirby and this offensive thing, I think is pretty real. I, I think Kirby really does want to see the offense score more points and be more great. And it's not like they were bad last year. You look at the points scored, I think they were over 40 a game. But I, I think Kirby is mindful of this. I think he knows that the offense, um, you know, needs to be more aggressive. And I think this being Stetson's, what, third year, see, 2020, he started some games, 2021. Yeah, Stetson's third year as the starter. I think he's going to have more trust in him. Um, I wasn't impressed with Stetson in the spring, but it's a long off season, And I think Kirby's got a lot of faith in him and that experience uh, I think will really show itself. Now they do open against Dan Lanning and, uh, and whether you think the dogs are going to roast the ducks or not, I, I do think that could be troublesome, but you go back and look at Oregon's games last year and yes, they beat Ohio state, but I think Ohio state's more of a finesse team. They got crushed by Utah, which was a physical run team, which is what Georgia does. So um, I, I think you can take some comfort knowing that, you know, Dan Lanning can know everything he wants, but at the end of the day, if, if Georgia lines up and runs them over and, you know, and you've heard stories of these offensive lines are so dominant where the guys can point and say, we're going to run the ball right there and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be that sort of offensive line. So uh good start to the show. Uh, good to see all the folks out there commenting. Appreciate it. Um, you know, Monday night, uh, we're off to a great start in the spring weather-wise. I want to take my halftime break now. When I come back, uh, I want to talk to you about the Diamond Dogs. I want to talk to you about the most ridiculous NIL deal. And I don't know how this one got by me. This one sped by me. That's your hint. But it is so preposterous, you will laugh out loud if you haven't already seen it. And it certainly uh, makes some of the words that Kirby Smart has shared on NIL ring true we're going to talk about that in just a moment let's take our break let's recognize 
our sponsor, Ingles. Thank you for all you do, Ingles. Let's take this moment to recognize uh, what you do for our program and what you do for our communities. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Wow, that commercial always gets me. Well, welcome back to the show. Mike Griffith here, uh, second half of tonight's Ingles on the Beat show. And, you know, looking at some of the comments that Kirby Smart has made about the NIL, uh, Kirby just wants things to stay within reason. From everything I'm reading, it's not like he, he wants to shut it down or, or, or doesn't want the kids to have opportunities. It's not that at all. What he said is, I'm hoping there are some kind of guardrails to put in uh, that'll help coaches who love the game. Because right now you're chasing your own players, you're chasing players that aren't at your place that are in the portal, and you're chasing recruits. So he said you're getting pulled in a lot of directions, and it's really challenging. You know, Feinbaum asked Kirby if, if he was czar for a day, or maybe it was, excuse me, it was Kublik that asked Kirby if he was czar for a day, what would you change? And Kirby said, what can we do? to protect our game. He said, you know, it's tough because the naysayers out there think we're trying to limit the kids and take away opportunities. And that's not anybody's intent. No coach wants to take an opportunity away from his players who play a tough, physical, rugged sport. He said, I just want to make sure that the game stays at a point where we can control it. I think everybody would agree that college football is one of the greatest sports there is. It's very pure. It's amateur. And now it's drifting the other way. It makes it tough. I'm all for the players. We've had a lot of players getting opportunities with name, image, and likeness. I would just like it where a decision isn't based on where I'm going to the highest bidder. And if we could control that in some kind of way, it would be that much better. So what is he talking about? Well, I found this article, and you guys may already know this. Bijan Robinson, who's thought to be the number one running back in the country, has an NIL deal. Are you ready for this? With Lamborghini. Now, I made fun of Kentucky for their Porsche deal in basketball relative to their quarterback, who's a projected first-round pick, by the way, having a pickup truck. But Texas has a player with a Lamborghini deal? Is this over the top? Is this too much? Now, some people say no. Some people say, nope, nope, this is this is not too much. It's good to, you know who says this? Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders? De Prime time, Neon Deion wants players limited? Hmm, I think that's interesting. I'll say this. If we're going to start talking about salary cap, if we're going to start putting a cap on potential earnings, then I think you got to do it with the coaches too. I think you got to say, you know what? Power five programs. This is something Kirby's talked about. The programs that can afford the NILs do it. I think it's time for the power five to break away. I don't think there's any way that you can keep the playing field level with the Mid-American Conference and, and the WAC and you know, Conference USA and the American Athletic. I don't think the group of five has the capacity to match what the Power Five programs are doing. And instead of trying to limit the Power Five and bring them down to that level, I think you got to turn them loose. And I think you got to let the Power Five programs break away. There's already been somewhat of a breakaway with the TV deals. You guys see the TV deals. You see what the SEC gets, the Big Ten, the ACC. The Pac-12 has not done a very good job negotiating their deals. The Big 12 not done a very good job either. But the Power Five conferences are clearly on another level from the group of five. So I think that needs to extend into the NIL world. And if we're going to talk about a cap for these programs, 
then I think it should be for the whole program. The whole pro you get $50 million, 50 million, spend it on your players, spend it on your coaches, $50 million salary cap. I mean, the NFL has a salary cap, right? They don't include coaches, but I think you need to include coaches. Otherwise, we get very hypocritical with this. How can a coach say, I should be allowed to make whatever I'm worth, but a player can't? There was a case last year called the Alston case, and it's working as a precedent. And basically, the Supreme Court ruled that schools cannot limit the amount of academic support items that they give to student athletes. That's what it states. And Justice Brett Kavanaugh said that the if any other business were to run like the NCAA, uh, it, it would never fly. In fact, I'm going to try to find this direct quote for you if I can find it um, from this Alston case, because this case is kind of what everybody's operating off is the president when we get down as the precedent when we get into these NIL matters. Everybody's going, well, how do we think this would play out in a court of law? Well, last year there was a case called the Alston case. And here's what Brett Kavanaugh said. He suggested that uh, published a concurring opinion that takes a harder line suggesting the NCAA's rules that restrict any type of compensation, including direct payment for athletic accomplishments, might not hold up well in future antitrust challenges. Quote, the NCAA is not above the law, Kavanaugh wrote. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other model in America. You cannot limit what people make. You can't do it. So that's why I said, if you're going to try to do a salary cap, and you're going to try to put a cap or a limit on what you're paying players, then I think you need to put the coaching staff under that cap as well. Here's why. Recently, the big move that's been made with NIL, uh, and Missouri just passed a law recently, and I believe Tennessee, actually, excuse me, Tennessee passed this law, and I believe Missouri's pitching it, that coaches and administrators from the program can have NIL dealings. So if a coach can pay players money or be involved in procuring money for players, then you've got to put him under the same uh, ceiling, I believe. Now, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think guys like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher and certainly not their agent, Jimmy Sexton, I don't think that'll happen. But folks, it's hypocritical for a coach to say these kids should only make so much money and then the coach has a limitless salary. To me, if we're going to go down this road of limiting how much money can be spent, do it for the whole program payroll. Now, you can draw the rules up that you want, but if you can't enforce them, then what good are the rules? And this is where we get into another sticky topic of whether or not there should be federal legislation. Because if you have politicians running sports, I got news for you. It's going to get messy fast. And we're just at a place right now where we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. We're talking about Lamborghini NIL deals. We're talking about coaches that may have $100 million salaries. I mean, it, it, college football is exploding. I know that we appreciate it, Doug. I know you appreciate Georgia is on top of the college football world. They're right where they need to be with all these changes. Georgia is in a very, very advantageous position as the defending national champions as a program that just produced a record amount of talent with a coach who has an insatiable appetite for success like Kirby smart. You're not going to find anybody else that coaches or works any harder than Kirby. I think probably to a fault. If anything, I worry Kirby's going to burn out in five or six years. I don't think he can keep up this pace physically. I think physically, emotionally, it's too much. You heard what he said, this 24-7 cycle. I mean, it, it's just, it's a lot. And, and, and I've seen it days where Kirby just looks drained and worn. He's 46 now, he's 47. You get into your 50s, man, 
That stuff catches up with you, and you see coaches walking away. And we don't want to see Kirby Smart walk away, at least not if you're a Georgia fan, right? So uh, the NCAA's got some work to do. They need to, number one, get this calendar in order, okay? I know these coaches are competitive. I know they want to see kids as much as they can. But you've got to shrink the contact period and the recruiting calendar down. You've got to sign players within a certain window. Things are an absolute mess right now. Roster management is upside down. Think about it. You're Kirby Smart. Be Kirby Smart for a minute. Any coach, you got 85 scholarships, right? And you're going to maximize those scholarships. You've got an early signing day, December 18th. You've got an open transfer portal where players can be coming or going. And an early signing day. And oh, by the way, you don't know what juniors or underclassmen may turn pro because they don't have to declare until the second week of January. How in the world do you manage your roster? You know who gets hurt at the end of the day? Players like Dan Jackson. Guys that are walk-ons that are waiting for their scholarship. Oh, we thought we were going to have one. Now we don't. That's, That's not cool, man. That's not good, right? Those guys, the little guy gets hurt, not the big guy. And it's a headache because Kirby wants to reward these players. He works to reward these players. The system is just killing itself right now with just terrible legislation, terrible rules, a complete lack of communication. Uh, You know, Greg Sankey's doing everything he can to wrap his arms around these other conference leaders and try to get some sanity and try to get some order. But some of these other conferences aren't playing ball. And you saw that with the opportunity that that college football had to expand to a 12-team playoff. And you saw the Ohio States and the Big Ten and the ACC form their little alliance to derail expanding the playoff, which, oh, by the way, would have helped a lot of programs. It would have brought more revenue to the sport by putting more teams in. It would have given us first-round games on campus. Think about this. How cool would that be to see a playoff game in Sanford Stadium in December or to see an intersectional game? You know, uh, you know, UCLA uh, plays at Alabama. In 2017, if you would have applied that college football model to the 2017 season, that undefeated Central Florida team would have played in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. That That's what should have – to me, we would have had a much more realistic playoff then. So uh, I think we're starting to see some movement. We're seeing some positive signs, reading the things that have come out of the ACC meetings and the Pac-12 meetings – the, the conference commissioners and the coaches are figuring out something's got to be done. Um, but there's been a lot of unintended consequences. As I said, toothpaste that cannot go back in the tube. And now it's a matter to me of putting in the guardrails, right? And coming up with a master plan for college football to move forward. We're all ready to see that, right? So I see we've got some good feedback from – our commenters tonight, I like that. I love it when you guys come back and have comments and questions because it's this sort of commentary and this sort of interaction where we kind of solve problems and you get a better understanding and I get a better understanding of what things I need to explain better or what things I need to ask here in a couple short weeks when I'll be down in Destin. Dog Nation will be down there At the SEC spring meetings, this will be our fourth year in a row that Doug Nation has invested to go down to Destin to talk to the athletic directors, the commissioner, the coaches, and keep you guys informed. Let me tell you, folks, that stuff ain't free. And Doug Nation travels aggressive. You saw Jeff Santel down in New Orleans last week doing knockout stuff on Arch Manning. He's also posting stuff on other recruits. We've seen Jeff go to these camps. Uh, You saw me at the NFL Combine. I was in Knoxville uh, covering the series for the Diamond Dogs, and I want to talk about them. I did a column this morning. Uh, I believe this Georgia baseball team, and I may be a sucker, I call Georgia baseball the Charlie Brown of Georgia athletics because they've been a hard luck loser. I don't know how many of you 
have had the opportunity to listen to Scott Strickland or go to a baseball game at Foley Field. But I can tell you it's really cool. Georgia baseball has like the Wrigley Field of the SEC. It needs to get bigger. It does. It's quaint right now. It's nice. It's clean. It's a great environment. And this baseball team really represents. I think you'd be very proud of the guys that represent Georgia on the baseball field, as well as your softball team, I would add. I think both of those sports really represent, and, and they get a lot of attention because they're televised sports. And I went up to Knox, and I watched the Diamond Dogs. They lost the first one to Tennessee 5-2. to two. Uh, They got beaten the second one 9-2. to two. And then Strickland went all in, and he put it on his guys. He's got six guys out of nine in the batting order that are seniors or, or graduate students. And, and he made it clear these guys needed to produce. And somehow or another, the dogs pulled it out Saturday. Tennessee had this 105. I'm not kidding you. The guy had 20 pitches over 102 miles an hour. Ridiculous. The guy threw – this is the kid with the 105 fastball. And Georgia knocked him off the mound. Then with the score 3-3, to Tennessee brought in this fifth or sixth-year guy that's like on the verge of being their all-time saves leader. And Georgia knocked him off the mound. And you might say, well, big deal. No, this Tennessee baseball team is the best SEC baseball team since 1997 LSU. This is the best baseball team, the most dominant baseball program in 25 years. And your Diamond Dogs took one. And Tennessee was 33-2 and two at home. Standing room only crowd. I saw it. I was up. I couldn't believe it. I used to work in Tennessee and baseball fever. They are crazy. And Georgia took them down Saturday. It was only one until, well, Tennessee, well, we want to say, well, you're 33 and two, okay? Georgia needed that. And they did it without the ace. It wasn't Jonathan Cannon. He got beat Friday. They did it, piecing it together. Strickland did a great job. And I thought, you know what? These guys got a chance. These Tate brothers from Oconee County, I don't know if you saw Cole and Connor Tate. These dudes are amazing. Cole was like, I think he batted 600 with two home runs off the best pitching staff in the country. Tennessee leads the nation in Team ERA, okay? And Cole Tate just ripped them up like slow-pitch softball. And then Connor Tate got hot. And uh, the Tate boys, the twins from Oconee, this is cool. This is good stuff. So the dogs have a game at home tomorrow night against Presbyterian. There was some talk they may cancel the game because the RPI for Presbyterian – So. But, but Strickland says, no, we're not going to do that to press. We're going to play the game. So Georgia with a top 10 RPI, a top 10 strength of schedule. It's going to take a hit playing a midweek game against Presbyterian, but, the, but Georgia scheduled it, so they're going to play it Tuesday. And then comes the weekend series. They got Missouri coming in. They need to sweep, okay? Strickland asked his team uh, and told his team after the season. Last year they got knocked out. The bubble burst. You know, LSU coach was retiring in the committee, played the violin and put LSU in, even though Georgia beat him head to head. It was kind of a screw job, frankly. Uh, but that happens with these committees that that pick tournament seeds. You're, it's a group of peers and it's who knows who. And as you guys know, LSU has a lot of baseball equity. So they got in the tournament and the dogs got left out. Um, dogs are going to be in this year. The question is, do they host a regional? You host a regional, your chances of going on to the Supers probably triple. And, and Georgia's right on that bubble, so they need to sweep. Strickland asked his guys, do you want to be good or do you want to be great? Dogs need to sweep to be great, need to host a regional. I'm going to be plugged into that. Um, it's exciting, right? Georgia softball did their season fade again, and that was not good. I believe they've lost seven of their last 11. Uh, they're better than that. Uh, it's an experienced group of players. Sometimes when you get to older players, uh, they can fade a little bit, right? They've been there. They've done that. They've been to the World Series. They're ready to just turn it on and go to Duke and knock out Duke and then blow through somebody in the Super Regionals. That's what they did last year. That's what the Georgia softball team did last year. They won their regional. Granted, they hosted last year, but they went to Florida to and, and beat the Gators and eliminated them, right? And they went to the Women's College World Series. Now, can they do that again? Yes, they do have the potential to do that. but. They've got themselves, Coach Tony Baldwin in his first year, they got themselves in a little trouble here. I have no doubt that they're going to beat Duke in Durham. But if they win, guess who's waiting for them? 
in Los Angeles, UCLA, and if you know anything about women's softball, you know that UCLA is the gold standard or was the gold standard for women's college World Series softball. Never going to be easy to beat UCLA in UCLA. It's going to be real tough. Josh Brooks wants Georgia to compete for championships in all these non-revenue sports. And there's just no easy way to go about it other than to be demanding. Brooks is a supportive guy. You've seen him doing videos, throwing the javelin, celebrating with players. I love Josh's energy. He's young. He's intelligent. He's on top of his game. But there are times when he's got to sharpen that pencil a little bit. And he needs to put it in front of these coaches, right? And that's what it takes. It's 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 tough, right? Because I once had an AD explain it to me like this. He said, Mike, there's four kind of coaches out there, okay? Good guy winner, good guy loser, bad guy winner, bad guy loser. Okay, good guy winner is a well-liked coach who wins. He has job security for life. Bad guy loser doesn't have any job security and gets fired pretty quickly. But it gets tough when you get into good guy loser and bad guy winner, right? And I think there's some good guy losers on the Georgia coaching staff. I don't think Scott Strickland is one of them, by the way. I want to make that clear. Even though Strickland has only um, been to two out of seven NCAA tournaments, I think the facilities have fallen behind, and that's a big reason why Georgia baseball isn't getting the same sort of player. Now that you have NIL, that could change quickly. But there are other programs that I think I would keep an eye on uh, that I think Josh Brooks is going to be watching very closely. I see Randy Hall asks, do I take any comments? I do. I do. After I run out of things to say, or when I need a pause, like now, I'll take your comments. What questions do you have? Hmm. Sonia Prescott says, and I like Sonia's comments. Sometimes she can be hard on me, but tonight she's got a good comment. I really think you put the NIL money in a pot and divide it equally among all the Scally players. I know most will not agree, but that's my opinion. Well, you know, what happened with JT Daniels last year and his Zaxby's deal was he was going to split half of it with the team. Now, he didn't have to do that. And in Georgia, you don't have to do that. Here's the problem with that. Think about this. And there was a receiver. I'm not going to say his name. But there was a receiver that Georgia had on a four – Four-year scholarship from out of state. I don't know. What's the value of that? $120,000? The guy caught four passes in four years. Might have played in seven games. You spent $120,000 on a guy that played in seven games and caught four passes. Is that – to me, the scholarship has – it's, it's almost like we're just forgetting all about the value of a top 20 public institution at Georgia, the value of room and board and meals – and Scott, you know what the value, those scholarships are worth over $100,000, okay? So it's not like the kid not getting in and out money isn't getting any money. He's getting money, all right? Now, to Sonia's point, um, there is some talk about this. I think I saw where Alabama um, is talking about splitting up their NIL money, all right? Um, what about other money they're getting, all right? What about that money? Uh, well, we don't know about exactly. You don't know about it, right? So if you split the NIL money, that's the above the surface money where the guy goes, hey, he's making that much more than me. When it's the underground money, nobody knows what anybody's making and everybody's happy, right? I'm going to say this too. If we're going to get to the point of NIL money for football players and basketball players, can we get to the point where all the baseball and softball and track are on full scholarship? Forget the NIL. Let's just make it so that the non-revenue kids can all be on a full scholarship. Can we do that? Because I want to see that happen. I think that's fair. I want to see them all at least be on a full scholarship. Right? That's all I'm saying. Let's do that for those kids. Because it is a financial burden for some of the baseball, and some of the softball, and some of the track, and some of the field. And it's all split up. Give these guys full scholarships. Right. It, it, where, where's this money? We got all this money coming in for TV rights. Uh, give it to the athletes. Put them on full scholarship. I, I think that's what you should do. I think that's part of the equation. I'll go one more. And I haven't even written this yet. And eventually I will. 
Let's just stop the whole masquerade. If somebody wants to be a professional sports player and major in pro sports player, create a program. Create a program for the player that teaches them how to invest their money, how to manage their money, how to handle interviews, how to do public relations, the value of social work, all the things that you need to know to be a successful professional athlete. Create that major. Create it. And you know what you'd have? You'd have some kids who aren't even on the sports team sign up for those classes just because they want to be around the athletes. It would be one of the most popular majors you could have. I think let's just stop the masquerade. Stop pretending, right? If a kid's coming to school to play pro sports, there's no shame in that. There's kids who go to college to be artists. You think painting pictures is the same as, as trigonometry? It's not. What, what about the, the kids that go for music or opera to play in the band, right? It's, it's not athletics, but it's also not necessarily academics, is it? I played a saxophone for four years. I don't remember that, you know, teaching me how to do anything with math or English or social studies or history, right? I mean, who is the one that comes up with these narrow categories? Is our system a little outdated? I think it is. I don't think it's an insult to tailor program to kids that want to be pro athletes because you know what? They may learn some things along the way that prepare them for life, even if they don't make it right? You're teaching them economic strategy as part of this major. You're teaching them public relations skills as part of this major. So that if the knee injury hits, or it turns out that maybe they're not as good a quarterback as you think they are, they've picked up these other skills in life that are going to prepare them to be that former Georgia player who works in the insurance agency, who works for the financial advisor, who works as a teacher in your school, you know, because they understand what it means to carry yourself as a big time college athlete in the public eye. And there is a skill to that. And, and I think Kirby Smart saw that this year. I think he was really proud of the players that went to the combine. I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to watch our dog nation coverage from the Indianapolis combine. I was really proud of it. We were able to pull it together where we had a live stream of the guys from the NFL combine as they sat up there and took questions live from Indy live stream, not taped, not edited, no sports information guy standing next to him or, or, or head coach telling him what to say. You got to meet the Georgia players at the NFL combine. And I think Kirby smart saw that. And I think he was damn proud of it. I really do. And he told us that he felt part of the reason why these kids were so good. I say kids, young men were so good at representing themselves and handling these interviews was because of these talks that they had with one another. This was a byproduct that came out of this team getting to know one another, these skull sessions. And I think Kirby really liked it. And I think we saw some guys speak this spring that maybe wouldn't have ordinarily spoke. For example, Jalen Carter. Jalen is not big on being in front of the media. But you know what? He had a tremendous role model in Jordan Davis. And he saw J.D. and Devontae Wyatt kill it at the combine. And the light went off in Jalen Carter's head. And he said, you know what? I need to learn to do this. I'm going to have to do this someday. If Jalen Carter is going to be an All-American, he is going to have to stand in front of a room and answer questions. And Jalen stood in front of that room. And I'm going to tell you, the kid was perspiring. He was nervous, but man, he battled. And, and I was proud for him that he handled that interview. And he did a great job. And it was not in his comfort zone. Public speaking, and many of you know this, public speaking is not for everyone. But to watch Jalen Carter in front of that room was such a win for Georgia football and for Kirby Smart. Because I've been critical of Kirby for not putting guys out in front of the media before. I, I, I want to see more transparency. I think Georgia football has so much to offer, and I think it's such a well-run program that I think this is something you want to show off and showcase. That's what I always say. Why wouldn't you want to showcase it, right? But Kirby's protective and Kirby's careful. But I think Kirby sees where this is going 
with NIL and with young people that are having to deal in more social media exchanges and more public exchanges. And I think his program is ready for that. And I think this outgoing class did an unbelievable job. Again, if you didn't see those videos, go to the Dog Nation page, click on the videos, scroll back, and you will find those, those reports from the Combine, those live interviews. The guy, Lewis Seen, was amazing. I mean, Lewis Seen and, and Jordan Davis, Channing Tindall, I, you know, I that was one of my favorite events to ever cover. I, it really was. I enjoyed it that much. And again, uh, so appreciative, um, you know, that the, the, the way Dog Nation is able to go and cover. Not everybody's there. Not everybody's spending that money investing back into our product. You know, I think I, it just it makes me proud to be a part of Cox Enterprises and proud to do the things that Dog Nation does. I know you guys see Brandon Adams. Uh, all over the place with his remotes on Dog Nation Daily. You see Connor Riley and, and the stuff that Connor is doing, the technology that he puts into Connor and coverage. Um, and he's a rock star, you know. Centel, Centel's Intel with the great information and Jeff's ability to get in the living rooms and be at these practices. Um, just doing some really cool stuff. So got to pat the team on the back a little bit uh, because I've worked enough other places to know that that's just not a gimme. And I know y'all appreciate it. And believe me, we appreciate you. We talk every morning about how we can best serve our audience. So um, you guys have, uh, let's see here. Dabo sent you that shirt, uh, Forrest Moss said. You know, I think it's more of a of a blue than a purple. But no, uh, you know, Dabo is a guy that I like a lot. And I did go to a spring game a couple of years ago when Trevor was there after Trevor won freshman of the year. Uh, Dabo's a good dude. But no, he didn't send me that shirt. I just, uh, it's colorful, right? I did a spot today on Fine Bomb uh, where I did a stand up in front of a, like a statue. And, you know, it's always hard. Like typically I wear a sports coat, but I didn't have a sports coat with me. And this was my most colorful golf shirt. So this is me being colorful. Woo. How about that? Uh, hope that works for you. Uh, oh, now we got Steve Highland, got it from Spurrier. So I'm going to explain the Spurrier thing for you guys because I know Georgia people go, Spurrier, ah, you know. Um, I guess, you know, I've been doing some work with the Football Writers Association, I guess, for 20 years now. Okay. I started the freshman All American team, I want to say 2001. I think Ben Roethlisberger was my first ever freshman All-American quarterback. That's how far back it goes. I think Maurice Claret was the running back, right? Just for a timeline. And in 2002, I said, you know what? We've got this freshman All-American team. Let me do this first year coach of the year award, right? This is, he's not a freshman coach, but it's kind of in the spirit. This is a coach who's in his first year of school, who, who does the best job. Doesn't have to be a first time coach, but first year of school. And so I had this award for like 19 years. And we would award that along with the freshman All-American team. Um, and you've seen some of the programming on Dog Nation. You've seen Spurrier on Dog Nation. You saw Sean Alexander on Dog Nation. Um, you've seen players, great players. Uh, Brock Bowers made his uh, first video debut on Dog Nation last year. Um, but anyway, the Spurrier. So a couple of years ago, I'm thinking, we, we don't have this first-year named, first-year coach named after anybody. Who would be a good coach to name an award after that was just lights out in his first year to school? And I looked around the landscape. And I know that some of you don't like him, but Steve Spurrier was unbelievable. If you're going to have a Mount Rushmore of four coaches in SEC history, I think Steve Spurrier is one of them. And, and I asked him, I said, hey, would you want to be the namesake for this? And he said, Sure. And I called Chris Doring, who you guys see on uh, SEC Network, and Doring was a Gator. And unbeknownst to me, Doring runs a very successful company. And Doring said, yeah, we'll do this. Let's do this. And Florida really embraced it and um, went to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill in what February and, and had the big awards presentation. And you saw Josh Heupel and Shane Beamer were the co-winners. Uh, Brock Bowers was the freshman of the year. Um you know, and it's just, it's turned into a thing. And, you know, Spurrier is, he's a personality, right? I mean, the guy was, he was dominant, you know, I, other than Kirby, I think, you know, Kirby's the first SEC East coach to beat Saban since Spurrier did it in 2010. 
And, and here's the thing that blows me away. Spurrier's still alive. His brain is still moving fast. And he's right there in Gainesville. Don't you think that Spurrier could help the Florida football program? I know he could. So why isn't Billy Napier reaching out to him? And I've, I've made light of this. And, it, you know, and it blows some people's mind. I'm like, dude, Steve Spurrier, if he didn't have the hip right now, the hip injury, Steve Berg still coach. He's just, he's got a knack. He's good. It is what it is, right? Now he likes to poke fun. He he likes to needle, right? Because the game's never over for Spurrier. He's always playing the mind game, even now. And uh, and it rubs some people the wrong way. Um, But uh, anyway, so that's the connection to Steve Spurrier. Kirby's visor says Kirby has already eclipsed Spurrier. Uh, I'm going to tell you why that's wrong, okay? It's wrong. Because Spurrier won at Duke. He won an ACC title at Duke, okay? Then he went to Florida, which had never won an SEC title. And he won six in like 13 years. Six SEC titles in 13 years, folks. Okay? Kirby, to me, right now, is where Philip Fulmer was after he won his first title. I think Fulmer took over a program from Johnny Majors that was in pretty good shape. And Fulmer elevated it and had a ton of talent, a ton of NFL players, right? And and Tennessee came darn close to taking over the East. But a guy named Mark Rick came along and derailed the Vols in the early 2000s. Otherwise, Tennessee was poised. Remember, they knocked Spurrier out in 2001. But then Mark Rick in Georgia came along and stirred it up. And then Fulmer never – they never really, okay, can Kirby create the dynasty is the question. Right. Kirby and Georgia are where Tennessee was in 98. They're defending national champions, um, built a great program. The facilities are on par. Kirby, like Fulmer, an alum. Um, but where does it go from here? A lot of talent. And, and that's what we're all waiting for. Right. Nobody's matched Saban. Not yet. Um, six national. T- I mean, what Alabama's done. Kirby could be that guy. He could be that guy that knocks out Saban just like. We thought Fulmer could be the guy that overtakes Spurrier. Here's here's the question, though. What happened to Fulmer in Tennessee could happen to Georgia. Fulmer in Tennessee did knock out Florida. It just so happened that Georgia was there waiting. So is there another program? If Georgia knocks out Bama, could LSU? Could A&M? Just like we didn't see Georgia on the radar, right? When I say we, I was covering Tennessee at the time. Nobody saw Mark Richt on the radar as being a roadblock, right? Is there a team out there that could be the roadblock for George that we don't that we don't see right now? If you pass Saban, which that's not a gimme, especially next year, because Bama's loaded, man. Bama has a lot of guys back, and they got like six guys out of the portal, including Burton and this running back from Tech and this receiver from. They had the best haul out of the portal. Plus, they had the best team coming back. I mean, that, that's going to be tough. Now, I'm not going to say it can't happen because it can because Kirby had Bama beat in 2017 and he had Bama beat in 2018. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? So that's why I don't want to hear it from Bama now because Georgia woulda, coulda, shoulda been 2017, 2018. So if Bama woulda, coulda, shoulda been 2020, looks to me like it all evens out. I think Georgia should have won a national title in 17 or 18 had they beat Bama. Absolutely. So. Look at that. Steve Highland says Kirby will retire Saban. We got uh, Ghost saying appreciates the truth spitting. Hey, man, that's all I know. And thankfully, my Monday night Ingles on the Beat audience knows what's coming. Um, And I appreciate that. Again, you know, there are times when people wonder and say, maybe we should soften it up. You know, hey, Mike, maybe you should soften that up a little bit. Maybe you shouldn't throw so many fastballs. And I just say, look, this this is this is like this is who I am, and, and this is how I've always been. Is I've got opinions, and they're based on places I've been and perspectives that I have. And and sometimes I'm wrong. And when I'm wrong, I'll tell you, hey man, I was wrong about that. Okay, um, but I, I don't know any other way other than to come at you with an unbridled uh, opinion to try to tell you how I think things really are. Uh, appreciate Hugh Nash joining us tonight. Thank you. Uh, Bama boy points out the game is four quarters. Found that out in January. No doubt. Johnny likes Spurrier's golf game. Um, 
Saban going to the poor. Now, this is interesting. Sonia Prescott with another. Sonia is on a roll tonight. Sonia Prescott points out that Saban going to the portal could hurt the team unity. That is very interesting. Tennille forgives my misjudgment in working with Tennessee. Listen, um, man, I've been lucky. Okay, I've been lucky to do Auburn in 1993 to get into the SEC. Uh, I was lucky uh, to get to cover Alabama under Coach Stallings. Um, great experience. That's where I met Dabo. Um, I was lucky to get the Tennessee beat in 98 and cover a national championship program that went undefeated. Uh, don't know if I'll see that again. Uh, lucky to get the break to go back to Michigan State and, and do four years in the Big Ten. That perspective helps me out so much when we're talking Michigan, Ohio State, or TV contracts, or the way different conferences are run. Uh, I got to see the Spartans win two Big Ten championships. And then, you know, lucky to get the Georgia job, right? I mean, there were there was a ton of people uh, that applied for the job. And let me tell you, I fought for it uh, because this is a unique opportunity. And, and all I really knew about Georgia was my experiences coming to Athens and seeing Georgia fans and dealing with Claude Felton. Uh, the SID, who's a Hall of Fame guy that I got to introduce into the College Football Hall of Fame back in South Bend back in like 07. And it was first class all the way. And so now I'm covering the dogs. You know, this is, gosh, can you believe, I guess this will be my fifth year, which is, you know, in beat writer years, that's that's a minute, um, covering Georgia. And uh, and it's it's been great. It's been fascinating. The fans are great. Uh, I think it's the nicest community I've lived in, the nicest athletic community. Um, just first class all the way. Um, so I, I appreciate all of you guys. I appreciate, uh, you know, the opportunity to add this program to my perspective. And I've met a lot of really cool people and covered a national championship team. Although I did tell, I did think that was going to happen. Uh, all time. This is a good question from Randy Hall. Five all time greatest players you've ever covered. Wow. Okay. Um, let me go back. I'd say Sean Alexander is on that list. Um, I thought he was pretty special. Um, I thought that Jordan Davis was really special last year at Michigan State. Um, Le'Veon Bell was incredible. Um, let's see. Tennessee. Wow. Um, you know, Now, I wasn't there. I came a year after Peyton left, so I got to qualify that. If, if I'd have been there when Peyton was there, he'd be on the list. But uh, Tennessee had a middle linebacker named Al Wilson. It's in the College Football Hall of Fame. And uh, probably, um, mm, boy, there's a lot of other Tennessee guys to choose from. Um, but you know what? Jamal Lewis, when he was healthy, was pretty – and I know Georgia fans know all about Jamal. Those are probably – those are some guys that jump to the top of my mind when I think about – but there was so many more. I mean, Gerard Mayo and Dante Stallworth and 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 Max Bulla and, and – uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jack, uh, uh, oh my gosh, what was his name? The offensive Jack Conklin, the first round tackle from Michigan state. Uh, so many great players, uh, that you go through, um, you know, Georgia had their Michigan state, a kid from Georgia, Darquez Denard. I don't know if you remember him, um, was really the key to their roles. One of the keys to their Rose bowl team, a real team leader. And uh, going back to Auburn, um, you know, James Bostic didn't get a lot of attention. Stephen Davis was a future NFL guy. Frank Sanders was a great receiver. Um, the Alabama years, in addition to Sean Alexander, I guess uh, Dwayne Rudd was a pretty tough linebacker. Deshae Townsend comes to mind. You know, the names over the years, I, I, I guess I wish I would have done a better job catalog, cataloging all this. Um, covered some great coaches, you know. Uh, you know, Coach Bowden, Terry Bowden. I still talk with Terry. I think he's brilliant. Uh, I mentioned Coach Stallings, Gene Stallings, a wonderful man. Coach Fulmer, learned a lot from him. Uh, Tom Izzo at Michigan State. Um, what an ambassador he is. Mark D'Antonio did some great things. Obviously, Kirby's on that list. Um, you know, I, listen, I, I think I think Butch Jones had a great season in 2016. And you learn a little bit. I thought Tom Crean had some big time win, even though things didn't work out great. You you can learn things. You know, Tom Crean's a Final Four coach. You know, um, didn't work out here, but you learn things from these coaches. There's a reason why they make it, um, and and they all have something to offer. 
Rick Barnes, Bruce Pearl certainly had a great time covering basketball with Bruce Pearl. Um, you just you learn being around guys and, and Pat Summit, and and they don't all do it the same, right? And there's no one way to do it, and that's why even though sometimes I know we all get frustrated with Kirby because you know Kirby's maybe not the most colorful guy or doesn't always give you all the quotes or whatever, but but that's Kirby being Kirby. And that's just what I say. A lot of guys get upset. Like, oh, it's just, it's just Kirby being Kirby, man. That's that's where he's at right now. Will he evolve? I absolutely think so. I think Kirby will become one of the most beloved figures. Uh, and I know you all love him right now, but I mean, like on a personal touch level, I think he's going to evolve into that guy. I think you're going to see more of that from Kirby Smart this year. I think we're already seeing more personality from Kirby. I really do, and and I think it's a lot of fun. Um, so, no, I did not cover Todd Gurley. Uh, DeAndre Swift was pretty doggone good. Um, I mentioned Jordan Davis. Uh, I think George Pickens was special, even though Pickens didn't end up putting up all the numbers. Uh, Brock, how could I not mention Brock Bowers? I mean, All-American, freshman All-American. It was the catches that guy made and the runs afterward. I mean, I could give you a list of 10 Georgia guys off the top of my head, but just trying to reach through the years. Folks, I've enjoyed it. I, I don't want to wax going on and on talking about these old time players. It's a lot of fun um, to visit with you guys on Monday nights. Remember tomorrow, Brandon Adams, 10 o'clock dog nation daily uh, Connor and coverage on Tuesday nights. Um, also the dogs are playing Presbyterian. Jack Leo is going to cover that game for us uh, Wednesday night. I think said tells Intel uh, before the hedges is going to be back on Wednesday night. And uh, we're going to have a lot of content for you all week on dognation.com. If you will do me two favors. One, I hope you all are already following me on Twitter, if you have Twitter, at MikeGriffith32. And two, uh, I want to see a push of people sign into our Dog Nation forum. I have all sorts of exchanges and conversations with people in Dog Nation forum. If you Google Dog Nation forum, you can join up and get on our message boards. I'm in there every day. And I love the email exchanges back and forth and the threads, I guess they're called. We have a good time with that. Um, you know, I had a buddy on one of the other boards that got banned because he wrote something that they disagreed with. It's almost like mind control. I'm not going to get into all the details, but we're not, we're not going to do that. Okay. As long as you're respectful, you can have different opinions and nobody's going to ban you from the dog nation forum. So keep that in mind. Hey, everyone have a great Monday night, have a really nice week. And I look forward to seeing you next Monday here on dognation.com on our Ingles on the beach show.